Hello, James. Hello, Jack. How, how are you doing on this lovely morning uh, in our captivity? Um, you know, making the best of it. You know, while it's not ideal, it does provide a chance to re-examine like a lot of different parts of your life and kind of, you know, refocus a little bit. There's always a silver lining. Uh, and amongst, amongst those is the ability to talk about poker, record some podcasts, uh, catch up on, you know, perhaps a, a dearth of episodes. And that's what we're doing today. We've got a good one here. This comes from a poker format, which really warms my heart. And that is a uh, $500 Survivor tournament, which took place in Canterbury Park in Minnesota. And it's basically a workaround, a workaround of probably some relatively silly regulations around gambling in Minnesota. And so having just a regular 2-5 cash game is not an option. And so what they do is they have a tournament where my guess is it's something like you buy it for 500 and you get a rebuy or you can buy up to 1,000. But it's essentially a 2-5 game with a 1K cap where they take rake in advance like a tournament. And the game has sort of a fixed end time. I guess in this case, it's usually three hours. And they'll frequently restart as soon as they end. And so maybe that means that you have to uh, go south back down to $1,000. But yeah, it's basically just a cash game, a way to work around regulations which permit poker in general, but place certain rules about what you can and can't do uh, at the poker table. Yeah, sounds good. Um, It's nice uh, to be able to figure out a way to circumvent some of the more silly regulations it's the way uh it's the way of the world all right so who are the relevant players in this hand hero is in his own words a mediocre winner at two five he's beaten the canterbury park game for 47 dollars an hour over a tiny sample of 160 hours he's played at least 20 hours with each villain both likely perceive Hero is competent, uh, and Hero is a generic-looking 32-year-old dude. And both of the other players know that he teaches at a liberal arts college in the area. Great. And Mediocre Winner is actually relatively impressive because a, a very large majority of people are losers in the game of poker. And so being a moderate winner places you well above a sort of median poker player in terms of your outcomes. So congratulations to you for that. Main villain is a young aggressive reg, approximately 24 we're seeing, is a good understanding of ranges and is capable of creative bluffs. He overbets turns and rivers somewhat frequently and adjusts well to weird table dynamics. So he has a pretty robust four betting range. Uh, I've seen this player four bet ace queen often tens before. So it sounds like this player could be a professional, or at least is playing well. Everything about this sounds like the right thing to do at most two five games to me. And villain two is an older loose passive dude. All right. Any thoughts? I guess uh, a thought I had about this structure a little bit while 
while we were speaking is that it might be possible that some players are going to be like more risk averse when their stacks at risk, just because they might have to get up and go to a different table or something or rebuy. And then like, there might be more rate when they're rebuying, which, which should mean that we are a little bit more risk averse to being stacked, but, um, yeah, there's that a subconscious be, hassle factor. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, that you could see that as well with someone, um, you know, who, like, has mentioned they're going to have to go to the ATM if they get stacked again. But, um, like, here, because it's a, you know, it's a quote-unquote survivor tournament, uh, that might be a little bit at play. Another thing I'd be thinking about, too, um, hearing, like, that this villain likes to overbet like overbet in a lot of spots is like just, just trying to think about how I would be combating that tendency when they're overbetting turns and rivers um you know maybe picking out hands that are like blocking more nut hands to call down with or like yeah having some more of those hands in your range like when you're calling the flop yeah, I think uh, the main thing to probably do against an opponent who has a high turn and river overbet frequency is to not aggressively play top of range. And probably to cut bait earlier with hands that are not going to call down those bets. This is assuming that these are coming through kind of like probably more than they should. Uh, which I think is is often the case with players who have that in their arsenal. And so I think the adjustment is just to uh, play play the sort of vulnerable top more aggressively facing those overbets, play the less vulnerable top passively so you can induce these overbets, and then be ready to uh, bluff with a relatively strong range and also when you have bluff catchers, which aren't going to be able to hold up to the heat, just cutting bait early. Uh, I think those are all good ideas and probably playing a little bit more snug than you're used to as like a pre-flop caller versus this player's opens or versus this player's three bets. You know, someone who's more aggressive and chooses larger sizings, you're just not going to be able to realize equity in the same way. That's why it's a good strategy. And so you you have to just uh, sort of preempt it. All right. Oh, yeah. Also, one other thing that, about what you were saying is if uh, if there's one game in the room, that is a particularly important time to. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's how the structure works. Uh, if you actually get eliminated, or if you can just if there's like unlimited rebuys. And if there's unlimited rebuys, it's not as big of a deal. But if there were a situation where they had tournaments where you actually busted out uh, and couldn't buy back in, then if there were only one tournament, then there, there would be sort of a ICM factor uh, or just a significant cost to busting such that you can threaten stacks more effectively. All right. Main villain has 850. Villain 2 has $600. And hero covers. So describe the preflop action. There's an important dynamic at play. A player uh, with about $700 to hero's immediate right is blasting off 
And the rest of the table, myself and main villain certainly included, are making every effort to play pots with him. I'm guessing that villain is widening his opening range in the hopes of getting involved with his player, who's sitting between us. Yeah, and I, I think depending on the nature of what that blasting off looks like, if it's a, a lot of opening of pots, then it's really crucial to recognize that probably like any kind of limp from these regs is going to be uncapped. And so we have to be a little bit more careful about isolating uh, just because we should expect some resistance from the sort of polarized parts of the lamping range. All right, so we're seven-handed. Main villain opens to $15 in the low jack. And I guess that player folded. So folds the hero who has ace of hearts, jack of clubs in the cutoff. Hero three bets to $45. What do you think about this, James? I, I would say um, I like it overall. Um, I think, I mean, I think we could call it this hand as well. Um, something you'll hear people say, which is, a you know, it's a good point, is that we're never going to be, or we're not going to be, we're going to be folding out some hands that we dominate, like if villain is opening ace 10, and then they're never going to be folding, like hands that dominate us, like, um, you know, ace king, ace queen, or like if they fold like queen jack or something. I guess um, it's possible that, or it's likely that villain will be continuing with some suited aces as well. But um, I think it's good to, to three bet this position kind of aggressively if we think our opponent's going to be a little bit wider. And also if we think, or like we'll uh, gain positional advantage because we want to knock out the button can be, can be kind of nice here. If we can be kind of buying um, that final position. Yeah, I think a lot of the value in three betting a hand like this is when your opponent kind of cuts off the very top of their range, but not an extremely large percentage of their range. So if you if you can three bet and get four bet by a range that's probably mostly like queens plus an ace king, that's pretty solid for you because those are hands that get you in trouble when you have ace jack offsuit through a call. Now, if we're going to be getting three bet by like, you know, ace queen, ace king, tens plus, and maybe some other types of hands occasionally, you know, again, these are mostly hands that like we don't have great equity against, but it just comes through a lot more often. It's really nice actually to be able to three bet ace jack offsuit against players who will like flat ace queen and then not play very not be very sticky post-flop out of position and where all of a sudden we can like on a 10, five, four board, if with a 60% pot C bet, get ace queen to fold. It's really nice. And that if we can open up that ace for ourselves. And so I think those are the opponents where like, we really benefit from three betting in this spot and against this player who four bets us more often, I think it's closer now, that being said, I do think that because this player plays relatively aggressively post-flop, there's a case for three-betting hands that have... I think H-Jack is actually probably a hand where I'm just normally calling 
because it's it's a hand that it fits in well to like the sort of bluff catching portion of a or the sort of hands we'd want to be able to bluff catch with um, versus an opponent who overbets aggressively and turns in reverse. You know, so on ace high boards, jack high boards, this is a hand that's going to be very profitable for us in those spots. Whereas like, you know, jack 10 suited, queen jack suited, these might be a lot more difficult for us to play for set strategy. Uh, because, especially because all these hands that sort of have a lot of ways of gaining equity uh, and winding up in the poles of the range, but aren't, you know, sometimes are a little bit hamstrung by their lack of nuttedness. Those can be really tough to play on the passive side uh, and easier to play on the aggressive side of the tree. So you're balancing a lot of things here, and it's mostly just a function of the fact that you're up against a better player. Better players, by virtue of being better, limit your good options. And so there's nothing you're going to be able to do with ace-jack offsuit here that's like so exceptionally great against this player. And so I, I definitely don't mind the three bet. I think I would normally flat. Uh, and yeah, depending on sort of the frequency with which you get four bet, it it has a lot to do with your ability to kind of just buy position and initiative. And so you have to be a little bit careful. I I make a lot of my decisions here as well based on how often I think the button is coming in and how tough they're going to play. If I think, or, or how often I expect to get like squeezed from the blinds as well. Those are some other things you can consider when you're deciding whether you want to um, three bet this hand or not. I think, yeah, I guess the button calling, like it's, it's just going to make it worse for us and then we're not going to have ultimate position, but if they're calling some hands that we dominate, it might not be so bad uh, if they're calling with somewhat of a wide range. So villain two calls from the small blind and main villain also calls. So fortunately we do not get four bet and we're heading to the flop with three players and I guess 135 or 140 in the pot since I, I doubt they're taking break uh, or they're not taking break. We know that. So flop is ace of clubs, queen of clubs, six of diamonds, and we have ace of hearts, jack of clubs. So flop top pair uh, with backdoor club draw and a backdoor straight draw. Checks to hero. Uh, and just to recap, main villain has 850. So I guess at this point, uh, main villain has just over 800. Villain two has just over 550, and we cover. And the pot has $150. Sorry, $140. Checks to hero, who, yeah. I don't think there's much of a case for checking back here. We just almost always have the best hand. And we just have a lot of incentive to bet. So I, th I, I say we bet. What do you think? Uh, I Let me make the, the case for checking back. If we're going to check back, 
any hand here, I think this one could make some sense to check back. It's possible that like that small blind range is has a lot of ace queen in it. Like it's gonna have those higher mid pairs as well. And um, on on any turn, we're pretty comfortable continuing um, facing aggression. Like if we check here, and it and it may induce like some bets from our opponent that said it's such an advantage board that when we check here it might be a bit obvious that it's protected but like on any club turn on any um broadway card turn um we have a we have a very comfortable like call and probably call down here so if you're gonna construct a checking range here which it may make sense to do since you're in a multi-way pot this hand might be a decent hand to choose. Yeah, I think having a club here is, it's always nice to have a club when there's two clubs on board or have two clubs when there's two clubs on board. But part of the value, I think, in actually checking back a hand like ace-jack of hearts relative to ace-jack with like the jack of clubs is that you induce more bluffs without the club. And so, so part of the you know value of checking back is getting hands like king jack of clubs, jack 10 of clubs, jack 9 of clubs, jack 8 of clubs to uh to one bluff into you on non-club runouts and two to not check raise you and put you into very difficult situations. When we have ace jack of clubs like we just don't get check raised very much at all. And we also get to, it's a hand that gets to just bet across the streets more often, which is another big perk where like if we have ace jack of hearts and we bet the flop, the turn comes a club. It's a good chance we check back and things get, things get tricky. When we have ace jack of clubs and the club comes, we can pretty easily value bet again on the turn in that call. Or if it comes on the river, we can pretty easily value bet again and expect that we're going to be up against a range that can't put us into difficult spots at a very high frequency. It's not impossible, and if it happens, then you know we're in a tough spot. But it just the fact that it doesn't happen as often is the main thing. I think that's like something that maybe people people might be prioritizing having clear decisions over avoiding difficult spots. And so it's like, yes, the club makes it easier to navigate, but also you just end up facing calls way more often when you have the jack of clubs. Um, and that might be the more important thing, actually, than the fact that you have this blocker, which kind of clarifies things uh, if you face aggression. Do you think it's possible for us to get Three streets from a worse hand here. I guess ace ten could oh yeah call definitely. down. I think yeah. on a clean run out. Yeah. Also All we right. know that we know that at least uh one player can be four betting ace queen and likely four bets ace king. Both players could easily be four betting ace king. So I do think we have 
you know, in other spots against players where they maybe rarely forbid hands like ace, king, or ace, queen, then I think we have to be more, uh, more concerned. Also, just in any dynamic where, in any dynamic where there's a villain who is really loose, it tends to have a sort of loosening effect on the whole game. And so I, I would keep that in mind as well. But I think it's a good point. And yeah, this is a three bet pot. So getting three streets with ace jack is not trivial. And so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. What what sizing are we looking at on the flop here? I don't I don't think it makes sense to go too big, but I'd be looking at what um, what hands do I want to target as calls? So something like those gut like those Broadway gut shots, like how do I how do I expect them to play? Do do we benefit from them calling? And I think we we don't really want those hands to to stick around necessarily like on a on a king or ten turn. It might be tough for us. It might be a tough kind of barrel for us regardless of how big we bet it's kind of kind of an interesting problem here yeah i think so so the way i sort of approach these spots is i sort of opt for more certainty uh when possible so i think it's hard to know if you can get hands like a queen or a hand like let's say king 10 of diamonds to call even facing a relatively small bet in a three-way three-way pot and so the the only category of hands i feel very good about getting to call are clubs and an ace and maybe a six because i think there's for a lot of reasons there's probably more value in calling with a six than a queen so i would offer going a little bit bigger because so let's say we bet 50 here. I don't know if King 10 of hearts calls. Maybe it does. We probably want it to. But whether we want it to and whether it does are both sort of ambiguous. If we bet something like 90 or 100, then I think we can be pretty confident that those hands fold and we define our opponent's range pretty well to like aces, uh, queen X with a backdoor some six X and like club draws. It's, it's nice when we turn to pair, if we can be confident that someone else hasn't turned their gut shot. Yeah. And if there's probably not that much King 10 off in the loose players range, the other player could have King 10 off, but yeah, obviously we're never going to get King 10 of clubs to fold that hand might just raise King 10 of diamonds. We could get that to fold for 90 or 100. But yeah, I think with 90 or 100, we definitely get king 10 of hearts, king 10 of spades to fold. So that's that's nice. And same thing for jack 10. I mean, like a king is obviously a card where we can barrel pretty aggressively. And it's, you know, when the king comes through, I don't know that we're going to be going for three streets, but we can buy our showdown in position on the turn with another sort of larger barrel. I think there's a lot of value there. Anyway. Hero chose to bet $85, which I think is, I like that size. I think you can go, 
you can actually go even a bit bigger, I think, but to me, this is the right idea uh, of a sizing that gives us clarity and also accounts for the fact that this board can, like it can turn ugly. We, we can shift into check back river mode, I think relatively easily. And so, or, you know, think about, well, anyway, yeah, I think just for, mostly for the clarity purpose and just because, you know, we have a, we have a very strong hand. I like the size. Yeah. What do the other players do? Villain two folded and the main villain called. So we're heads okay. up to the turn with 310 in the pot. And I guess uh, like 600 or 735 behind. Mm -hmm. Turns the 10 of clubs. Very interesting card. So villain checks, which is good. All right, we've got a gut shot. We got top pair. Got a got a flush draw. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like, our the villain should have like all ace ten. You know, maybe all ace ten offsuit um, that's left, which is what is that? Um, three like no, it's two. So like six combos. Base 10 mm -hmm. off, and then maybe some queen 10 suited, maybe like two combos of that. Um, and then pocket 10s is probably fully on that flop. Like, there are kind of not so many flush draws. It depends what our opponent is doing with suited connectors pre-flop. But some of those will be raising the flop. And some of those might fold to the three bet. So we'll be up against some flushes here, but not too, too many. I think it's a bit hard to get called by so many worse hands here, though. Like ace nine of diamonds, like just calling down here on this turn. Are we going to be able to induce any hands to bluff if our opponent had like Queen Jack on the flop, will they be bluffing on the river? Probably not. Yeah, I think I think maybe we go for another bet here and you can call it off. But um, yeah, I guess we're we're kind of targeting those other other ASEX hands, which might not necessarily call. Yeah. To me, here's, here's the problem. We have a very, very equitable range right now. But we don't actually have that many like nutted hands. So if our opponent has a flush, they're going to almost always have the best hand. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of hands that like kind of are in an uncomfortable spot facing a raise. Like a lot of our range really doesn't want to face a raise. Ace King with the King of Clubs, Kings with the King of Clubs, Jacks with like the Jack of Clubs, Ace Jack with the Ace of Clubs, Ace Queen, Aces, Queens, Tens, 
all these hands, if they bet and face a shove, are like in not, in not a great spot. Now, I don't think, that doesn't mean our opponents necessarily going to bluff us a lot, but they potentially could. But I also think it's hard to bet a size where like, I think our sizings are kind of unappealing here. If we bet like $100, let's say, which would be a third pot. We're setting up a pot size bet on the river, but our opponent like puts us in a really tough spot with almost all of our range with a jam. If we bet much larger, then I think it's almost impossible for our opponent to cause with an ace. And so that's not bad. Like I think there's a, a reasonable case for just like kind of throwing ourselves into the danger zone and betting like 250 with a range that includes betting like 250 or 300 with a range that includes like aces, queens, and then also like kings with the king of clubs and like jacks with the jack of clubs. And just kind of like getting a lot of ace x to fold and, and even getting like ace 10, I think to fold a good amount would not shock me. And then if we take that strategy, I think we're, we're shifting ace jack with the jack of clubs just into a check because I just don't think we accomplish anything other than like getting to be done making decisions with that kind of size. Yeah. So I would probably either take like a check everything or a bet kind of like a committing size with a polarized range. But I think in either of those scenarios, I probably wouldn't bet ace jack of clubs here. I think it's too hard to get a hand like ace nine of diamonds to call. I'm coming around to that. It's, it's hard to get value from worse here. And um, our opponent has plenty of hands that improved to beat us. And we have to call off facing a shove. And we're going to be like, I mean, that, that that's well, going into the pot is going to be not good for us. Like we're losing money on that particular bet. I mean, do we have to call off facing a shove? I think so. Um, I think, well, I guess it depends on how big we bet. Um, I was saying like, if we're going like for the 250 size, because we can be up against like a lot of ace 10, some queen 10, um, we're going to have like what, 12 outs against ace 10. And then maybe like we get bluffed sometimes by like king queen with the king of clubs or something. Yeah, I mean, that's the the major risk and bluff candidate here is like king queen with the king of clubs, but it's only three combos. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly not sure that like queen 10 shoves here. We bet 250. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't absolutely shock me if that hand folded. I don't know. But yeah, I think I think the main problem is just like there are still just like a number of flushes. I think we can pretty comfortably assume like king nine of clubs is in there. And it's, it wouldn't shock me if like king eight, king seven, whatever of clubs yeah. are also possible. We're, we're not protecting our equity very much. There's not very many like 
high equity hands in our opponent's range that that we derive for protection from by betting here, and we're not getting value from a worse hand. So th those are kind of that's that's what I'm kind of boiling down to, and coming to check being the best option here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And also, I think uh, we shouldn't forget about hands like King of Clubs, Jack, King, Jack of Diamonds. These are also hands that I think uh, our opponent can feel very. We just don't have very many flushes here on this particular board. Uh, is the thing to realize. We might have the royal flush, but you know, and we have some obviously like maybe six, seven, seven, eight, seven, nine, whatever of uh, clubs. But yeah, we don't we don't have just like a ton of like really high end flushes here. So I think our opponent can feel very good about just check shoving with his you know without thinking very hard about it with a hand like king jack of diamonds. Okay, so villain checks hero bets one hundred and thirty five dollars. And I think this is like sort of a a natural size that you would one would think of with like this range because it it's sort of like is very strong but lacks nutted hands. But I think that's a mistake. I think you should actually go for a more polarized strategy and just accept that there are some flushes that just are going to check shove and win and focus more on like making our opponents asex their lives very difficult uh for the times where we have like kings or jacks with the club uh or like king queen ourselves uh these sorts of hands that just get to win a lot here so yeah villain does jam for six hundred dollars more what are you thinking here oh man <laughs> um yeah so I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to find, like we spoke about before, it's hard to find a lot of natural bluffs here, like um, maybe king of clubs, queen, which is like three combos. But um, yeah, we're going to be up against, like in between like two to six combos of ace 10. Um, we're going to be up against, yeah, I guess those hands might not necessarily go all in those two pair hands. It's probably like four combos of King Jack of varying mm -hmm. sorts. There's at least one, two, three, four, five, probably at least five likely flush combos. And then I think three bluffs, but that have equity. And we have some, yeah, we obviously have some equity against, uh, against value. But I think the for me the hard part here is like I can definitely see those hands like King of Clubs, Queen, bluffing here. But I think this is a pretty ugly board for like hands that don't have like significant equity to bluff. Uh, just because it's it's not inconceivable that hands like Ace Queen fold here. It's not inconceivable to think that hands like kings with the king of clubs fold here. But man, it's it's dangerous to try and get people to fold those hands. And it's dangerous to try and get people to fold hands like a set of aces, a set of queens, a set of tens. These are just hands people just don't fold very much. So if this player is 
thinking along those lines, then I, I wouldn't expect to see many more bluffs in this range. And so, you know, with all that being said, I've, I'm guessing that we don't have the equity to call versus that range. Although I am going to, I will double check. I'm going to pull up an equity calculator now. So I think we need about like 35% to call. And uh, yeah, I think this is a spot where like we can just get a really kind of strong approximation of our opponent's range uh, and get more of a concrete answer than I think we will other times. All right. If you have, if you have anything you want to add while I. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's, it's good to look for, well, the main, the main mistake that we kind of arrived at was betting the turn. And it was part of that was because we didn't seem like we had a great option facing a shove and that we might have to just like, it might just be a little bit too big of a bet that we have to fold out all our equity in this entire pot, which is something that you want to be avoiding. So those, those are the kinds of things you should be thinking about. Like when you're trying to make your range splitting decisions um, with deciding which hands face nicely into a bet, which hands face nicely, sorry, which hands go nicely into the checking range. Um, I think it's also like something else that comes up a lot is on these boards where there's Broadway, like where the, the ace is the flush card and there's some Broadway flush cards. There's not a lot of hands that players are three betting that are going to have a flush here. And so like when we're the aggressor here, we should realize that the opponent isn't going to have a flush hardly ever. All right. How much equity do you think we have? Here's what <laughs> the range I ended up on was uh, one combo each of ace, queen, and ace, 10. King, jack of clubs. Sorry, king, jack of diamonds. King, queen, all combos of king, queen with the king of clubs. All combos of king, jack with the king of clubs. King, nine of clubs, nine of clubs, nine, seven of clubs, eight, seven of clubs, seven, six of clubs. Let's see. Uh, 20, 23%. In the ballpark, 26.8%. Okay. Good one. Yeah, a bit more. If we take out the two pair, then we're down to like 25.7%. So yeah, I, I do think this is a fold. That was my instinct, and I feel like the the equity calculator has vindicated that instinct. I think this is just a spot where like, for this to be a correct call, we need to... What am, what am I saying? We need our opponent to just be turning hands into plus that I think are just unlikely. Yeah, I think if our opponent just has like, you know, it's an interesting spot for our opponent to just take ace five hearts and just shove it in our face. <laughs> Could work out um, if if you're playing tight and you choose the size with a lot of like kings, jacks with a club and just kind of like shrug fold those and shrug fold your king of clubs, queen or some of your ace queen, or maybe even 
tens or queens, which yeah, ace king too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the issue with this spot is that queens doesn't have much better of a. Uh, it, it has roughly the same equity facing this range. Mm-hmm. Are there uh, any final thoughts from our, or from you, or from our writer? There will be. The writer did decide to call. I don't know if I mentioned that. Okay. Uh, and I don't know what the results were. So River Hero writes, legitimately doesn't remember. Let's say it was the seven of diamonds. All right, before we, I think, get results, we have a lot of thoughts from Villain. Or sorry, from here here. He writes, okay, there's a lot here. Most of it I regret. I feel like Villain 1 is widening his opening range quite a bit in this spot, and Ace Jackoff is decently ahead. I expect Villain to 4-bet with Ace-King and Jacks plus which makes Ace-Jack both play very well against continuing range, and an easy fold to a 4-bet. Um, against that range, I, I like this. It's, but that conflicts with your sort of Villain description, I'll just add. Uh, given the spellbind call, and since I use my 3x in position sizing, I don't expect Villain's 4-bet range to change much, but I do think his fighting range becomes super wide to include pretty much any pair or pseudo connector he would open, and I think that's almost certainly true. So here writes, I get a solid flop for both my range and my hand with top pair and some solid backdoors. I would expect to only be behind ace-queen and pocket sixes, so to see that $85 and get called. Yeah, I would, I mean, I think there's more to think about there, but I think generally, yeah, uh, that's, that's all true. The turn is obviously an interesting card. If I somehow was behind on the flop, it gives me decent equity. I intend on betting turn for value and checking back any river where my hand doesn't improve. Yeah, I think this is where you're getting into trouble. So I think you're you're not actually getting the value you want, and so you're getting your equity denied, or slash, you know, potentially just getting it in bed um, a significant amount of time. So, yeah, and that's why we advocate for uh, a check. When villain check jams turn, I call myself an idiot in the I really should have checked back that turn, what am I doing sense, and immediately question everything I just wrote. Uh, I try to parse villain's range and then figure I'd I'll just call full depending on what I think, what I figure out. So he writes, he thinks Villain can have King Queen with the King of Clubs, Ace Queen, Queen 10, King Jack, 7 8, and 8 9 of Clubs, sixes, which is a range I'm barely getting the right price again. I puke called off. Yeah, I think you're, I just think you're forgetting a few hands here, which makes things uh, worse. I think you're forgetting that King Jack offsuit with the King of Clubs. The suited connectors that we spoke about. Yeah, I think I wouldn't rule out 5-6 or 9-7. or, And definitely I wouldn't rule out King-9 of clubs. We didn't even include sixes, which is probably an important hand to include. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one to mention. But yeah, I think, uh, I think you're probably not getting the right price by a, a wider margin than you think. So here writes, I puke call it off and was legitimately surprised when villain turned over ace-king with the king of clubs, thinking he always four bets out of position after small blind calls. Uh, Turn was probably a fold. It was definitely a check. Yeah, I think we're we're all in agreement about that. And yeah, him having ace-king here is, uh, I mean, it's a little surprising. And it's also something we probably shouldn't have ruled out, although I don't think it's, I mean, it's it's consequential. So yeah, 
I think to me, a big takeaway from that is that like, we need to recognize that we are not quite as predictive about this player's forbidding range. And we were kind of all over the place in terms of what was, what was true and what were our thoughts at various points in this description. Uh, so just being a little bit more conscious of the sort of uncertainty of the situation, I think maybe would lead to that turn check, which is really, I think the essential difference where ace king starts to shift us, especially in that direction. Awesome. Well, any final thoughts, James? Final thoughts. Um, yeah, I think, I think this player like is doing a lot of things, right? I think they're like from, from what they've written in, I think they're legitimately thinking well and trying to, trying to adjust to the dynamics of the table and think about their opponents specifically instead of just kind of generally thinking about what their hand is. Um, and then I would go on to agree with you that it's important to think about how much certainty you have about some of the things you think, um, including like this player having ace king should not have completely blindsided us. Um, we should have been like considering that as a possible hand that, that they could have. So yeah, just not, not being too locked into all of the assumptions um, in a way that's going to set yourself up to make mistakes. Yeah. And similarly, like, you know, hands like King Jack off suit and nine, seven suited. Maybe these are a little bit loose to be playing this way, but we, we shouldn't roll them out. And so that's also going to impact decision-making. And then one final thing just about in-game thought process is I think it's very, it's very natural to think about what are the hands that beat me? Because that's obviously like, we have sort of a fear and we have a fear driven brain in a lot of ways. And so like we immediately think about like, what are the things I should be worried about? Obviously good things to think about, but I think you can't let that be the end of your thought process where it's like, on the flop, you're thinking about, well, I, I lose to ace, queen, and sixes, so I should, that's not very many hands, so I should bet. You know, that's that's all true, but there's a lot more that we need to be thinking about so that we can adequately plan uh, for the rest of the hand. And then on the turn, it's like, we're starting to think like, oh, well, I'm I'm still ahead, and if I'm behind now, I have some equity. It's like, that's true, but the main thing to think about is like, can I continue getting value? And that's the thing I think you've, you failed to think about, which is why uh, the hand went the way it did. So uh, that, that would be my major suggestion is to think more holistically about your opponent's range and not just focus in on like what happens if I'm beat. And I think that'll help. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Awesome. Well, thank you, James. Uh, thank you to our correspondent for writing in. Guys, please uh, continue to send us hands. I know that uh, people aren't playing as much live poker as they typically do. But if you have any interesting online hands, we can sort of start covering some of those. Uh, yeah, I think generally, you know, everyone, everyone's got to make some changes uh, while we're not allowed to go outside or be around people. So 
we will make those changes as well. So if you have any interesting online hands that you want to send, uh, please do. All right, James, I'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone.